All right. Well, welcome back to the Humility and Arrogance podcast. Uh, I am one half your host, Tony Beard, joined as always by uh, my best friend, William C. Verdon. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Best friend? I don't know. Have you ever claimed that before? I'm not sure about publicly, but <laughs> Angela might know. But hey, man, it's it's been a minute. It was uh, five months since we last uh, recorded. Uh, uh, and, and I know for a fact all you've been doing is sitting around and, and pretty much doing nothing because you say you preach, but I think you preach like, what, once a month? So what do you do with the other 29, 30 days a month? Well, they say pastors only work, what, Sundays and Wednesdays maybe at the most? Um, besides taking up a lot of my time counseling and, uh, you know, I do preach fairly often, um, certainly, I, I, certainly not, not often enough, but it's been pretty busy these past couple of weeks counseling. You know, as you know, you're kind of in the heat of things within, um, you know, college ministry. And maybe you're seeing something similar. I've just been seeing a lot more cases around, you know, anxiety, uh, depression, especially out of young people right now. And uh, yeah, that's been that's been pretty heavy. It's been really heavy. Yeah, we definitely see that. Um, our semester just ended about a month ago. Uh, certainly, this generation, Gen Z, is well marked. Our generation, millennials, uh, well known pre uh, as well for anxiety issues, mental health issues. Um, no, some of it, I think, is is well deserved. Some of it, you you begin wondering. Uh, how much of it is a fulfilled prophecy? You could keep telling a generation that they're the most anxious generation over and over again. Um, that's probably going to make them more anxious. <laughs> but uh, a, a broken world around us, social media, being able to show that broken world uh, 24-7, you know, all that's going to lead uh, many people, not just Gen Z, not just millennials, going to lead a lot of people to mental health issues. And I'm sure, you know, um, as a counselor, as well as a just general counseling as a pastor, um, you see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think there's certainly cultural aspects to it. Um, I, I certainly think, and I've seen an increase as society has not just uh, embraced the idea of mental health, um, but has really, um, I think, promoted the idea that everybody should see a counselor. You know, everybody, there's something wrong with you. Everybody needs to be talking to somebody. Um, and I think what I've been seeing a lot of is certainly within our society, I've been meeting with a lot of people that have what I call kind of pop psychology terms. And so they might have kind of an understanding, maybe very briefly, of these complex terms of uh, psychological diagnoses, but not really fully understanding what that means. It's almost like looking at WebMD, right, and diagnosing yourself and saying, you know, I have this diagnosis because, you know, my my itch, my foot itches. So that means that I have cancer in my foot and I have to get it amputated. I, I see a lot now uh, kind of a similar idea within counseling. Um, but we know that that scripture provides the greatest context. Scripture provides us with the greatest hope and a greater understanding of who we are. How do we live in that broken world? How do we interpret our own thoughts and feelings? And how do we, which I think we're going to talk a little bit about today, how do we continue to preach the gospel to us 
regardless of how we feel um, in the moment. Yeah, amen. Now, well, before we get to our topic, it is we're recording this June 20th, this past weekend. We just celebrated Father's Day. So tell me uh, about how your church played good, good father uh, during the service. <laughs> that, that happened, right? I'm sorry to disappoint. We did not play good, good father. <laughs> did not. We did uh, give out gifts to the fathers uh, for Father's Day, which my kids thoroughly enjoyed. We gave out beef jerky. I don't know if your church does anything <laughs> like that, but nothing says Father's Day more than beef jerky. Uh, we, I did not get beef jerky. I'm going to talk to our elders about that, but, uh, we, we, Hey, you know what? We gathered, we heard of the word, the word of God exposited. We sung praises to our Lord. We prayed together. We confessed our sins. So I'm, I'm sorry that we didn't have beef jerky, but, uh, we did all those other things. Amen. Amen. Those things are, are, are truly what matters. I preached this past Sunday and, and, Someone did a Father's Day message about the attributes of God, specifically looked at the ABCs of God, our Heavenly Father. And uh, A, we talked about uh, how we have been adopted. B, we talked about how we've been bought. And then C, we talked about how God is a compassionate Father. So just a great reminder of our Heavenly Father uh, that we celebrate this Father's Day. Um and I have to tell you, on Father's Day, I'm sorry to tell you, Tony, but I got it this year. I got the world's best dad mug, a coffee mug. So I'm sorry, but uh, all you other fathers out there, you did not receive it this year. <laughs> I received it. And so uh, it, it is mine. So I at least I think I can claim this for at least a year um, as the world's best dad. Yeah, that's OK. My uh, my kids got me a mug that said world's most okayest father <laughs> <laughs> all right well speaking of fatherhood uh that is not a transition that's very good but we in in the month of june sure we have father's day uh, my wife and i have our anniversary there's you know other minor holidays i'm sure but it seems like the month of june we celebrate our country's newest and uh greatest holiday known as pride month and you and i are at a fun age where we're older millennials born in 84 uh so we kind of have the holdover i can think back you know growing up in our hometown in the 90s you know this topic wasn't necessarily something that you know really ever came up throughout elementary school through middle school even through high school uh no certainly in high school by that point you no know, no people who are gay but um the topic the idea of pride um the pride flag um, you know, topics being drenched, uh, uh, whether or, or uh, content, whether it's English class, social studies, whatever it might be, those, those content areas were not drenched with um, uh, such critical theories, uh, gender theory, or, or, or um, uh, just anything along those lines. Meanwhile, about the time you and I probably got into college is probably where the tipping point started changing. I remember being in college, uh, Massachusetts being the first state recognizing same-sex marriage. And then certainly you, you can draw a quick line. I think that was right around 2004 until 2015 with the Obergefell decision. Uh, and now here in 2023, it just seems like things are changing constantly. Um, so I'd like to talk to you today a little bit about you know, how, how we as a church can respond to that. 
you know, think through the ideas of ministering to individuals, both in the church who are saying they are same-sex attracted, how we can speak to a world that is completely insane on this topic, to be quite honest. It's just beyond anything that I think most people would find remotely reasonable. And then maybe talk a little bit about different resources or books or articles or people who've researched the, the topic and written on the topic. So I thought that's what we'd spend our uh, time together doing today. How's that sound, Will? Sounds great, brother. All right. Well, well, why don't why don't you start us off? Let me ask this question. Um, have you in your ministry experience, um, and obviously no, not asking to reveal any sort of uh, information that would uh, reveal anybody, but have you worked with many individuals in counseling and pastoral ministry within the church who have confessed um, same-sex attraction? attraction and looking for help in how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how have you often counseled them? So I have not had the, um, the opportunity to counsel anybody within the church context. Now I had practice counseling in the secular, um, uh, counseling agency for a while and, uh, for a school. And during that time I did encounter many, um, many youth, young adults who uh, were struggling with same-sex attraction. Some uh, some struggled and really wanted advice on how to work through some of those feelings um, and felt that uh, they did not want to go down that road and were, were looking for ways to kind of combat some of those thoughts. Uh, others really embraced it and they wanted to receive some affirmation that this was good and they were going down the path that was that was true to them, as they say. Um, so within the church context, I have not I have not experienced it. I have uh, worked with adults, uh, parents of children who have um, struggled with same sex attraction, have worked on transitioning in some cases. Um, and so as I ministered to their parents, uh, again, it's been hard to think through some of these issues when you're ministering to people that are in the world who have no regard for uh, scripture and are completely uh, immense in what this world is saying that not only should they embrace it, but they should be proud of this new identity. And what's very difficult is to uh, help them see that not only is this inconsistent with the Word of God, not only is this inconsistent with the way that we are created in the image of God and are mandated, but actually, if you carry this out, um, it, there's ultimately, certainly I'm talking about more of like the transitioning uh, transgender, it actually causes uh, more harm um, and it's very destructive. And so what we're seeing, I think, in society is, again, this this idea of promotion of pride, right? Not only should I be embracing who I am, but I should be proud of it. And it's been hard, I think, as a as ministering to parents who have children going through that, for them to be able to come back and say, um, to to speak in a manner that is that's intelligent, uh, speak in a manner that is consistent with biblical truth, while also confronting um, what society is saying as "would well, just be you," right? And so it's very hard to come back with a response to "would well, just be you." Um, 
Now, we would say, right, Christian, as Christians, as uh, believers in the word of God, well, the, the worst thing you can do is just be you. The worst thing you can do is just follow your feelings and just do what you desire to do, because we understand that our feelings um, are sinful, right? Matthew 15, Jesus says, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him. It comes, what comes out of the heart is what defiles a man. And so it's those things that are within our heart that we have to be aware of, that we have to try to rid ourselves from. I want to make a, one more point. I don't think it is a surprise that uh, if I do believe Pride Month is is a means of, of Satan, I do think that this is of uh, the evil one. And I do not think it is a surprise that they would use the word pride, <laughs> right? The one thing uh, that we see time and time again throughout Scripture how pride leads to the fall of man, right? Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is no more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, Psalm 10, uh, verse four, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his, his thoughts are, there is no God. And I think that's what is mostly promoted during this pride month is this idea of there is no God. There's nobody you have to answer to. There is no higher authority. There is not a God that is a moral judge, and um, there is no God. And so since there's no God, you can take pride in who you are, and you can live in whatever way uh, you feel and, and embrace that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you chime in, brother. Um, maybe I kind of went around circles a little bit um, uh, to your question, but what are your thoughts? Have you encountered any youths, maybe specifically in your college ministry, that have been struggling with this? And if so, what kind of advice have you given? Yeah, uh, yeah, you said quite a few things there. I just want to definitely echo the the comment on pride first, because I I think we can see how pride is very often at the root of most any sin uh whether it's um let's say an affair someone cheats on their on their spouse pride is saying i deserve this i want this you know that was um the, the ravi zacharias thing right he, he he used to pressure women saying like he he does so much work he's doing so much for the lord he deserves this right that that's that's a prideful response you know whether it's theft is like well i want this like my my desire for this is greater than the fact that it belongs to somebody else um creating an idol yeah, god's good but i want something bigger or something else i'm going to serve you know this instead of god so very often I, I think you made a great point there like that that idea of pride is the root of so much of the sin in our lives when we start putting ourselves on the throne instead of god uh, as far as my interaction with college students so far uh, in my ministry role, uh, it's been pretty limited. I, I have not uh, discipled or counseled any individuals who have necessarily shared at this point uh, issues with same sex attraction. Uh, I, I certainly do work with many students who, who have had issues with pornography. And I think one uh, pornography, I was just reading, um, uh, we'll talk about resources later, but a book that came out with just this month to be a woman by Katie McCoy. And part of it, she was making that point where very often porn and it's 
uh, how accessible it is to to youth today uh, points in a direction. Um, I think she uh, said some statistics that search for transgender pornography in the past few years has spiked and more and more people are going and seeing this and watching this and, and it's helping pull in that direction. Uh, so I do uh, I have counseled students with with pornography issues and um, you know certainly we we start with the idea of okay recognizing the fact that this is a sin and most people most of the students I've I've talked with are there already like it, it doesn't have to be a convincing of this is wrong that this is a rebellion they see that they know there's brokenness so then we start talking through um, you know we I, I don't think it's good necessarily jump to strategies next I think what's important is being able to hold up the goodness of God, the the beauty of how he has meant for us to be created, the beauty of uh, fulfilling sexuality through a monogamous marriage uh, to someone of the opposite sex, uh, the, the goodness of God, like this is what's beauty, this is what's wonderful. So instead of just focusing on the bad and the sin, start with recognizing how good God is, the beauty, and how much better that is. Okay, once we start recognizing that, we can start bringing in some of those, uh, you know, accountability partners, accountability software, uh, but being able to focus. So I know it's a bit of a um, a tangent there, but, but pornography is certainly very influential on uh, the younger generation, how they see sexuality, um, whether that's uh, through violent porn, whether that's uh, transgender, whatever it might be, that is pulling this younger generation into a direction even further than than previous uh, generations. I, I forget who, who I mean, many people have said it, but um, you know, the world is always catechizing. You know, if we're not going to catechize our children, the world's going to do it. And unfortunately, much of that's being done by pornography um so anyway I, I think i answered part of your question there and i certainly have more thoughts but i'll pass it over because i've been talking for a couple minutes there yeah no i just want to um jump on that one point that you made that was that was excellent tony and that's the idea of let's look at what does the word of god say um as far as what god commands us to do and see the beauty in that um, because we're what we're holding out to people, right? And I think this is where, if we're talking about pornography, if we're talking about same-sex attraction, if we're talking about uh, sin, any type of sin. What God is saying is, within the proper context, right? The, the context that God has designed, that His way is perfect. It is beautiful and is lovely. It will give us greater joy than. Um, than this outside of the context and the confines of what God has designed it for. So, for example, marriage, right? Within the confines that God has designed this, we see back in, in Genesis chapter 2, which I always think is surprising, right? Before there's um, even a mother and father, right? God says, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, right? It, for Adam, right? That was before there was even a mother and father. <laughs> But this is the perfect context, right, within marriage, a man and a woman. And God is saying that this uh, sexual uh, intimacy is best 
in this context. Uh, that the joy that you're meant to experience is best within the context that God has designed. And so what I think we can often do as churches, right, and, and as Christians, we can often become very legalistic and judgmental where we say, you know, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. But I like your point of, well, let's first of all see that within the context that God has designed it for, there's beauty, there's joy, there's wholeness, there's more pleasure, <laughs> Than doing, than engaging this type of behavior outside of what God says is good, right? And so we're saying that it's not that God doesn't want what's best for you. It's not that that God doesn't want you to have pleasure. It's not that God doesn't want you to have enjoyment in life. In fact, God wants more enjoyment for your life than you want it. And so He is saying that you can experience the most joy within the confines of what God declares as good. And so I like that point of starting off there. Let's really see what scripture says, what is good, and understanding that within that context, there's so much more beauty and wholeness. And so we're forfeiting, right? If when we're engaging in sin, we're forfeiting that goodness that awaits us when we're engaged in this proper behavior within the context that God has designed it for. So great, great point with that. And I think that leads to kind of what we're talking about today in Pride Month, um, finding our identity. Uh, we are going to find wholeness in our identity when we see that we are first created in the image of God. We find a wholeness and identity then when we understand that as we're creating the image of God, we're created as beings to worship God in the context that he has designed. And so I think part of this Pride Month comes down to identity, right? Because that's what they're saying. I'm prideful. I take pride in who I am because this is who, who I am and this is my identity. Well, brother, you and I know if our identity is anything outside of Christ, it is a sinful identity. And it leads to nothing but destruction and ultimately the wrath of God, right? We, we need to find our identity as created in the image of God, image bearers, and then as the children of God. That's one thing I preached again on Sunday was the, this idea that we are adopted as children of God. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think um, it's a, it might not be as much the case now. Uh, as when I can think back to, you know, maybe the 90s, early 2000s. I'd love to hear, hear your take on this. But, you know, there was a time when I think the church treated um, same-sex attraction as the unforgivable sin. Like it became like a, a church was biblical as long as they stood against same-sex marriage and stood against, against abortion. Like the other stuff, whatever. But as long as you were against those two things, you were a biblical church. And I think there had been a lot of damage done in ministering to individuals, not by, um, you know, getting squishy on this topic, but by kind of almost segmenting out sins. Like, all right, well, you had an affair. Well, don't do it again, or you know, we'll, we're not going to talk too much about this. But, like, but I'm not so sure that's as much of an, an issue now. Um, but what are your thoughts about that? Has has the church historically done well in trying to minister uh, to folks in the LGBT community? Uh, are we doing better now? What needs to be improved? Uh, because ultimately, the the issue here is you know, we we do want to stand against a culture 
that has lost its mind that, you know, uh, uh, what were some of the things recently? Uh, there's a picture for the Blue Jays, that's Toronto, but he was demoted recently because he went online and, and you know, said boycott Target because of some of the crazy stuff that they were selling this month. And some people say, well, he wasn't having a good year anyway. Well, he was good enough to still have his spot on the roster and he got demoted. Uh, and then also sticking with baseball, you know, I'm a baseball fan, of course, the Dodgers. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, I think it was just this past week or maybe even over the weekend. They invited in that one. Um, um, uh, uh, I can't remember their name, but um, it's a, a group of, of um, gay individuals who mock um, nuns. They dress up as nuns, crazy like painting and stuff, very much sexualizing. There's, there's an image that goes around of them sexualizing the cross, the crucifixion. It, it's gross and disgusting and blasphemous. And originally the Dodgers had invited them out to an event and then turned around and say, oh, I guess maybe we won't. And then they had even more pushback. Oh, you can you can come here. So we absolutely, absolutely need to stand against a culture that is in rebellion against God. However, however, our commission is to go make disciples of Jesus Christ. The world around us may go crazy whether we want it to or not. You and I are still called to tell people to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How as a church can we both say this is wrong? Our culture is, has gone very decadent and is lost while still maintaining the ability to do what we are called to do first and foremost, which is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to still have that connection, to be able to still have that ability and and to sit down with somebody uh, who's dealing with us, who's lost in this sin. It's a gospel, brother. It, it starts off with preaching the gospel and it starts off again with the, the true the context of the gospel. You know, there's an equal playing field there. All of us are sinners, right? All of us are born sinners. And so somebody that struggles with same-sex attraction, somebody that is, is in, in enjoying this lifestyle of, of, of sin in their lives, they're a sinner as much as I'm a sinner, as you're a sinner. And so that takes the judgment away, right? I am just one beggar showing another break, beggar where to find food. And so there's an aspect that it, it is the gospel. And so I think as society, right, as Christians, we need to engage in society from a point of saying, look, I, I am not on my uh, holy, righteous throne. I am a sinner. I continue in sin. The only difference between me and you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I've placed my faith and confidence and trust in Jesus. Jesus came. Um First Corinthians 15, right? He came as according to the scriptures to die for sinners. And he died for me. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And according to the scriptures, to save sinners. And I am I am a sinner. I could say as Paul, I am, I am chief of all sinners. And so I think if we if we engage with others in in that context, now we need to call people to repentance, right? We need to call people to repent. We, we need to beg with them to turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. But our only hope is the gospel. Our, our hope is not just to create people who don't engage 
in this type of this type of behavior. Our hope is not that we now have a society that just doesn't celebrate Pride Month or that stores don't sell uh, transgender, um, you know, clothing to kids. That uh, certainly we we desire that for a society, but this is not our home. What we desire for people is the gospel, not just to be well behaving. Uh, I think about my ministry in South Sudan. Again, here are people that were so hopeful for uh, a new government, right? I was there during the seven years of peace between the North and South. These people just put, put all their hope in the government. And guess what? When they got their own government, it was it, not only was there, there wasn't just civil war between the North and South. Now there was civil war among the South Sudanese people uh, because the, the government um, is not where you put our hope in. Uh, you know, stores making the right decisions, not where you put our hope in. Um, as a society, we don't put our hope in uh, that they're going to do the right thing. We put our hope in Christ. We, we put our hope in the gospel, knowing that Je what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I think first and foremost, let's start off saying, look, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. Um, as far as what we could do and better, certainly I think churches have failed to some extent. But here's the deal. I think I think churches at times see it like, um, you know, think about the Hoover Dam. If there was a a leak in the dam, what we're trying to do is put our thumb in that leak. And what happens is, right, we're focusing on this one leak because that's the one that's first and foremost. That's the one that's being being prominent. When there's other things going on, but that's what we need to do right now. That's what we're seeing. Uh, and as soon as we start trying to slow down that leak, there's another leak that happens and we just put our fingers in. And so, you know, we are always very responsive to society uh, maybe to our detriment, where we are we are trying to be overly responsive to society. Um, and so I don't really know the answer to that. I think that's hard because we need to respond. Um, our response is certainly that's wrong, that's sin. But our first response is you need Jesus like I need Jesus. That's good. It is. Uh, it's I've I've tried to remember again who who said this or where I originally heard this, but. You know, the question sometimes is, why do you Christians, why are you always obsessed with you know, sexual issues? Uh, and it's almost like uh, someone just shoving their thumb in your eye and over and over again and you saying, my eye hurts. <laughs> like, you keep poking me in the eye. That's why I'm talking about my eye hurting. Like, this is, you know, our society keeps pushing this even to younger and younger uh, children. The reason why we're talking about it is because society is obsessed with it mm -hmm. and we have a Christian response. You know, before we start re recording, I shared just the kind of this off the cuff idea that I have. Like it seems like Pride Month in many ways has replaced Christmas as the, the secular version of Christmas as the official American holiday. You know, I can think of like growing up as a kid, like Christmas started the second Thanksgiving was over and the decorations went up and the commercials were there and Christmas was only one day, but you kind of celebrated all month, this month long feeling of peace and joy. And, and maybe, maybe Jesus was a part of that explicitly or not, but there was a still a community experience in, in Christmas. And it almost seems like that's what pride month has become. The decorations go up late may and you know we we jokingly say well when can you start playing christmas music when can you put the decorations up right uh and there's little fun arguments about how earlier and earlier we start doing that stuff and i 
I think that's become Pride Month. Like we start seeing in May, uh, earlier and earlier decorations and the clothing line for the children, like you said, and all that. And it's 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 we have a consistent response or we have a regular response to this because it's all around us. Like it, it's not something you can miss uh, these days. Armin, do you have anything else you want to talk to about the issue or do you want to kind of jump to different maybe books or resources that you're familiar with that I'm familiar with? Yeah, no, I think we we spoke pretty thoroughly about this, brother. I think it's, a, again, a topic we need to engage in. To your point, the reason we're talking about it is because society's pushing it, right? And so uh, we need to come up with a response. Um, you know, we know we have the the proper response through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I think that was a great, a great point. The reason why we are focusing on it is because the world's focusing on it. Society's focusing on it right now. Um, so regarding some some uh, resources, I know you have a you have a list there, brother. You got a stack of books with you. What what resources <laughs> do you recommend? Yeah, I do have a stack of books over here. Uh, first off, we'll go to my boy, my favorite uh, uh, writer on really any topic, biblical, uh, and that's Kevin DeYoung's book. What does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? Uh, this is out on Crossway. It came out a few years ago now. Um, and like so many topics that the young addresses, he's thoroughly biblical and he often keeps the book, keeps the book relatively brief. Uh, I'm looking at this book here. It's, it's less than 150 pages and, and he tackles the scripture, what it has to say about this topic, uh, from the old Testament through the new Testament, connecting that as a narrative and addressing different, uh, common objections you know sometimes there's twisting words well paul was really talking about pedophilia not necessarily same-sex attraction and, and kevin DeYoung just tackles all of that um also mentioned i made i made sure you say made sure you didn't object to this one some people have issues with jackie hill perry i like her i don't agree with everything she's ever said but that's i, I don't agree with everything you've ever said i don't agree with everything i've ever said <laughs> But Jackie Hill Perry's uh, somewhat memoir, autobiography, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, Gay Girl, Good God, documents um, a lifestyle sin that she lived in. And again, like you said earlier, we've all pre-Christ have engaged and indulged in sin. Uh, and it's only through the work of the cross that makes us even want to turn away from that. Um, still, none of us are perfect. We still engage in sin, but we repent. And we turn back to the cross. So this documents uh, Jackie Hill Perry's uh, walk through that sin. Um, uh, I think I mentioned a lot when we were talking about uh, men and women in the church. I mentioned Andreas Kostenberger's God, Marriage, and Family. Uh, that gives a really good uh, overview of what marriage is intended to be. Gives a, a lot of technical um, explanation of the Greek, um, uh, as Kostenberger tends to do. Two more books here, um, Andrew Walker's God and the Transgender Debate. The original edition, which is the one I read, came out a few years ago. He just had a second edition come out that's uh, with a good book company. And um, again, very useful book for Christians, just kind of late to the game, kind of trying to understand terminology. You know, where does this come from? What does it mean uh, when people use certain words? And then I already mentioned it um, earlier, but a book that just came out this month to be a woman by... 
Katie McCoy, which was just incredible. It documents uh, a lot of the transgender issues, specifically uh, how it has um, gotten into schools, um, how parents are often duped into uh, believing that they need to endorse or support their their child's journey and and just kind of let them go or else, you know, uh, things could be worse if they don't try stopping them. Um, and, and very well researched, very well researched. Uh, she has her PhD, I believe, from Southwestern, which is where she also taught for a while, uh, still does ministry, uh, women's ministry work with uh, the Texas Baptist uh, Convention. But yeah, so those are five books that we also, I think, mentioned uh, before we started recording. Um, Christianity and Liberalism has a great, uh, uh, or this is the 100th anniversary of Christianity and Liberalism in Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, is doing a podcast series, and recently one of the guests was Rosaria Butterfield, who was incredible. And I think that was a, a, a resource that you wanted to mention, uh, uh, Rosaria Butterfield and her uh, one book. Yeah, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, uh, excellent. Um, talk about her journey. Uh, and here's somebody, again, she was fully engaged um, in um, homosexual um, activities. She was very much promoting um, this idea. Uh, professor, you might know her whole story, but great book. Again, sharing her own examples. Um, and, and I think this is a book that actually should provide us hope as well. Um, and again, again, can I say it? The gospel, <laughs> the transforming power of the gospel. And uh, it's just a great book. Um, that I would, I would commend. Uh, another book I know we talked briefly about, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Again, Carl Truman does a great job kind of explaining kind of where we came to where we are now, specifically on the road of sexual revolution and uh, this promotion of um, LG, LGBTQ plus uh, agenda. So uh, both very good books I would recommend. Um, and I, again, I, I think this is something we're going to continue to see books coming out about because it does seem to be just such a prevalent issue in our society as our society continues, I think, to become overly sexualized. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, a topic we just scratched the surface on. Um, you know, certainly this is something I'm sure Christians are facing and talking about all over the place especially this month, how we respond. Um, and I think in case they didn't hear you say this, we respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would that be right? I, I think if we could sum up, <laughs> sum up our discussion, it would be, again, the power of the gospel. It is, it, that is the answer, right? That is the answer. Now, certainly there's more there. We need to be good apologists. We need to have a good response, um, apologetic response to these concerns, to these questions, uh, to the pro to, to the promotion of, of sexual behavior in our society. But uh, it is ultimately comes down to uh, the gospel. And, and our God is big enough and loving enough to save anybody out of any sin and out of any situation. So I appreciate your time today. Uh, tough conversation, but I wouldn't want to have this conversation with anyone other than you. I think that's the second nicest thing you said to me today, brother. I'm trying to be humble. I'm I think you humble. got the humility award today. I got the best dad ever award. You got the humility award.
All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you all to everyone who uh, listened to this. We will. We can't promise it won't be another five months till our next episode, but we will do our very best uh, to make it uh, at least under four months. <laughs> That's a good goal, brother. All right. You have a all great right, day. Until next time. <laughs>